I was asked and encouraged to take a sabbatical, you know, doing any care stuff or counseling stuff for a year. And I tell you the first, I mean, I don't say first three months, it was hard to separate myself from what I provided and helped people. The first couple of weeks was so disorienting. It felt like a midlife unraveling, if you, if you will. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Cast. Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. In every episode, we explore the Enneagram together. And today we are going to be talking about style number two, type two on the Enneagram, commonly known as the helper. Sam, what are some of the other nicknames for the helper? Yeah, the altruist, the caretaker, the enabler, the pleaser, the special friend. That's the special that's friend. What it says. I don't <laughs> yeah, want to say yeah. that. Sorry, Rizone Hudson. I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, when I think of the helper, here is the story that comes to mind from my own life. You know, when my wife was pregnant with our second child, we received some really devastating news where we found out that her pregnancy was not going well. And in fact, it had become really dangerous both to her and the baby. And she was going to have to be put on full bed rest. And the doctors told us that if she were to move much, that the baby would die. And, you know, we had child number one and now we got number two on the way. But also I had a full time job at the time. So we were struggling with how are we supposed to take care of our daughter while I'm also working full time. But, yeah. my, you know, my wife's on bed rest. And as a result of all of that, we had two friends start coming Every single day while I was gone at work to take care of my wife and my daughter. And both of these folks, they were twos. And they They gave so much time. Right. They were made for that moment. Yeah. They they showed up every single day to take care of Lindsay and to take care of my daughter. And and as a result of that, you know, Lindsay ended up healing and getting better. And as a result of that, I've got a beautiful eight-year-old son. Like that is only possible. He is only alive because God was at work through these helper types that came to my house to take care of us as a family. Like that is the helper at their best. They literally helped save my son's life by the simple action of showing up every day and and taking care of us as a family. That's so good. And that's so True, of being a two being at their best. Yeah. So when twos are at their best, when they are resourceful, some of the resourceful traits of the helper are that they are caregivers. These are folks that they want to take care of other people. They have a desire to be attentive to the needs of other people. They're relationally oriented, so they gravitate towards uh, other folks and the relationships in their lives. They really value the relationships. Yeah, they're very in their outwardly lives. defined. Everything is about the other person. Yeah, they're they're very focused on other people. Uh, they're they're, they're generous. They literally live by the mantra that generosity is the best way to live. Um, they're not selfish. Um, they are very nurturing people. So um, so they value their friendships. They nurture those friendships. They take care of them. They're attentive to them. And they're very compassionate folks. You know, when they uh, come across hard things in life, they are moved by those things and they're moved towards those, those people that are in need. They're just very compassionate passionate folks. 
And so that's, you know, that's the two when they are resourceful. Sam, tell me a little bit about what happens when the two becomes non-resourceful. Yeah. So they move from a place of being helpful to needing to be needed. There's a sense in which that they were only ever valued in their family when they were providing help. And so their identity becomes in their ability to serve others. And so that can turn into people pleasing. They can become overprotective. They can become intrusive and tell you that you have needs way before you recognize that you have needs and kind of before you ask them if they could help you. So yeah, it makes me think of, uh, you know, there's an old sitcom, you know, everybody loves Raymond. And there was like the mother-in-law on the show and she was like notorious for fabricating needs, you know, that the family didn't have. I saw you had a hole in that sweater, so I bought you four more. Yeah, Yeah. totally, totally. Right. So when I think of the non-resourceful too, I like always think of the mother off that show. Yeah, totally. And they just, they love to help others and they don't know what to do if other people around them don't need help. So they have an exaggerated need to be validated and they ended up denying their own needs as a result of this compulsion to be helpful, to be an asset to other people. And, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, folks with a lot of non-resourceful to grew up in households or in families in which there was some kind of role reversal where uh, where they as a child had to assume many of the responsibilities of the parent or they felt some sort of emotional responsibility for the well-being of their parents, while at the same time their parents ended up, you know, maybe having childlike behavior. So sometimes I'll talk to folks that have a lot of two and, you know, it might be something where they have parents that lost jobs or parents that uh, had addiction issues Mm, or parents that were always on the brink of a divorce or were fighting all the time or parents that were absentee while they had a sibling that was, you know, special needs or something like that. But but generally speaking, a lot of folks that have a lot of non-resourceful to grew up in environments where they felt an inordinate amount of responsibility uh, considering the fact that they were just a child. Yeah, they were in a situation where if a need presented itself, if they had a need that some in some way stressed out their environment. So they learned too soon to manage their own needs and to even repress and deny that they had them at all. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and every personality type comes with some kind of wake-up call. There's a moment where there are certain things that begin to show up and it's it's an opportunity to like turn the boat around, like stop heading this direction. Yeah. And for the two, the wake up call is when they begin to believe that they must go out to others in order to win them over, hmm. that that becomes a narrative that drives them that I need to go take care of these people because if I don't, something terrible happened to them or. Uh, or even worse than that, um, these folks won't care about me or remember me or I won't yeah. have much of a role in their life yeah, any longer. Yeah. But any moment in which they are driven that they have to go out to take care of other people in order to win them over, that is the moment in which you are being offered a wake-up call. It's an opportunity to turn around and to try things a new way. Well, every personality type on the Enneagram has a deadly sin. And, you know, for folks that are in the heart triad, the truth is that these folks struggle with the issue of shame, the belief that that we are defective. Something is broken about us. Something's yeah, it's about missing. their identity. Yeah, it's about our identity. And for twos, this shame, eventually, it, it gives birth to this deadly sin of pride. And the way that the twos can nurture this pride, making it bigger, making it worse, is through offering abundant compliments. So sometimes you'll meet somebody and and they're like showering you with compliments, but like it's like every time you see them, you know, yeah, they it's are like... flattery. Yeah. It's not even like a rooted, genuine, like, hey, I really didn't notice this about you. It's like, oh, 
we'll have to catch up. So great to see you. Everything's fine. Don't worry about me. I'm good. Blah, blah, blah. You know, like, yeah, just you're awesome. Sam, yeah. you're the greatest. Sam, you're just wonderful. And, Sam, I haven't told you lately just how amazing you are. And you are go you like okay? after a while, you're like, can you put the brakes on? Like, yeah, it's just yeah. a little, little much. Uh, they do it through accommodations and through personal sacrifices. So they'll uh they'll adjust their schedule backwards and forwards instead of saying you know i'm not available or you know listen that doesn't work for me you know they'll they'll rearrange everything yeah they'll say yes before they think about should i have done that absolutely you you need me there okay yeah i'll be there yeah yeah totally and uh and they'll do it through just helpful deeds you know but uh but sadly those deeds can sometimes come with some strings attached to them and that's the strings are that it's just it's nurturing and growing the pride of the non-resourceful too okay so so every type has, has a deadly sin but every type also has a psychological defense so sam tell me a little bit about how the helper defends themselves Yeah, it's through the defense of repression. So they put their own needs, they bury them down and then project it onto others. And so it's other people are needy, but I'm not. It's all about what you need. I'm good if you're good. And so there's a sense in which they have the pride has just lied to them and told them that they have every expendable resource available to make the needs happen when really they're just they're just repressing the truth is that I'm a needy person and I need I have needs as well. Yeah. And so even actually to even bring up the issue of pride becomes incredibly offensive to uh, to a lot of folks if they've got enough of that non-resourceful yeah. two stuff cooking inside of them and you bring it up no matter how gentle you are about it. It feels so wildly offensive because they genuinely do not believe that that pride is an actual issue, you know, in their life. Well, we say, too, like when you ask a two what they need, they're going to say, I don't know. And that's yeah, or just, they're going to say nothing or uh, whatever. Say, I don't need anything. Whatever you need. I yeah. need it's I'll be fine. Yeah. So it's just a sense in which that like they can't even think about that right now. And they're offended that you even asked like why they needed anything. So every personality type has an idol. There's something that they look to for safety, for comfort, for identity, for a belief that it's going to be the thing that gives them substance and value and a way forward in life. And for the two, the idol that they are tempted to worship is being indispensable. But idols, idols require sacrifices. And the idol of being indispensable requires the two to sacrifice God's grace because grace requires having needs. Right. Grace means that you have to come to God and go, God, I need these things from you. And God goes, in my grace, I give you all these things. Mm -hmm. But if you don't think that you have any needs, then you also don't need God's grace. Man. Uh, Also, uh, the idol of being indispensable requires sacrificing, uh, asking for what you need. It also requires um, sacrificing receiving without being paid back. Like unconditional Uh, love? Yeah, receiving receiving without paying back to somebody else. mm -hmm. So it's somebody giving you something and you receive it fully, wholeheartedly. Without... And there's no desire to... Yeah, without trying to say like, okay, I have to go get them a gift too. Like if you get... I feel like twos are the ones that like if you give them a birthday gift... And then they like write you a thank you note and then you like you write them the thank you note back. Like it's just like you can't even accept the compliment. Yeah. If somebody's got enough of that kind of non-resourceful two stuff going on, you know, and you gave them a $10 gift, then, you know, within a couple of weeks, they feel like they need to give you a $15 gift. Like, yeah, um, but not even like at a one up one upping place of pride. It's like, oh, you help me. I'll help you. It's like, yeah. you, the the one way love of the Lord and just the one way love of friendship is really hard for the twos. They feel like they need to reciprocate that in some way. So the good news is that God doesn't leave us where we started and that he he gives us an invitation. And so, you know, the the issue for folks in the heart triad is the issue of shame. And God responds to that shame with his delight. 
he dotes over us. He sings over us. He delights in us. Uh, he celebrates us mm-hmm. as his children. He says we're enough. Yeah. And he invites he invites the two towards what virtue in order to see this pride transformed? It's the virtue of humility. And so that's what they've been striving for all along is to, to present themselves as a humble person. But through the work of the Holy Spirit and through the Lord, they're able to be more open handed instead of always going toward other people. They're able to say, hey, I need help. I have needs. And actually, God is present with me. It is good to receive. I have my own desires. They're able to kind of stake their claim and to receive help and to adopt a posture of humility. Well, twos, we love you guys. And we are so excited because right now we're getting ready to have an amazing, wonderful conversation with one of our favorite twos, James Santos. So please stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, Sam, do you remember how we first met? Uh, yeah, you came to my college campus on Halloween night. That was the weirdest experience. I remember watching a bunch of people like arms raised in worship, but they were like dressed as like Batman. Yeah, yeah, Superman. I was dressed as Lois Lane, so I had a Superman with me. Unto the Lord. <laughs> well, okay, so I came to the school because I was recruiting people for Love Thy Neighborhood, and you showed up. Yeah, and it worked. So I came the summer after I graduated, served for that summer, loved it so much, decided to stay on for the year. And that year completely changed the trajectory of my life. Yeah, so if you're listening to this and you're between the ages of 18 and 30 and you're just trying to figure out, you know, what do I want to do with the next summer or the next year of my life? Come, be a part of Love Thy Neighborhood. We have 18 different internship tracks that you can choose from. Yeah, this is a great opportunity to grow in your relational skills, your professional skills, but also just an opportunity for you to grow deeper in your relationship with the Lord and His people. So if you want to apply to be a part of this program, head over to lovethyneighborhood.org. While you're there, you can check out all of the different causes that we offer. Choose the ones that you are most passionate about, and then we will pair you up with an organization where you can make a real difference in real people's lives. You can serve with us for either a summer or a year. So go to lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. Hey, welcome back to the Innycast. As always, Jesse Eubanks. Sam Stevenson here. And our guest today is James Santos. James is a corporate chaplain and life coach from Mana Incorporated, where he cares for the spiritual needs of employees of over 450 fast food restaurants. He was previously a hospice chaplain, uh, caring for people and their families in their final moments of life. He's also been a lay pastor at his church and a private life coach. And lately, he's actually been focusing on grief care. James, we're super excited to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. Uh, so you just heard uh, you just heard our overview of your type. Mm-hmm. So what resonates with you? Yeah, I mean, I think with the uh, descriptions of a two uh, helper, giver, and a, an- another recent one that I heard was a befriender hmm. by uh, Beatrice Chestnut. There, um, very helpful. I mean, I think those are are pretty accurate. And depending on situations, you find yourself in those, you know, particular, you know, roles. So, but yeah, I think everything that was shared, um, yeah, was helpful. Um, well, twos, you know, you're really generous giving people and twos model sacrifice so well for the rest of us. Um, how do you see twos lean into this gift of generosity? Yeah, I think generosity is usually um, exemplified in relationships, um, you know, by their time, uh, resources, uh, 
you know, all those things, I, I think relationally, we're definitely very uh, connected. That's one of the ways that um, we give of ourselves is just time spending, whether that's in coffee shops or visiting them in their homes. Or in my case, I, um, you know, visit people in their workplaces, uh, work sites or in hospitals. Um, so, you know, presence is is pretty big, um, you know, as far as speaking with me. But um, those are the ways that we we give of ourselves generously. Yeah, and I mean, that's a lot of the nature of your job, right? Is that you know, if there's an employee that's <clears throat> that's gone through something really, really difficult, is that you know, you get in a car, you get on a plane, you mm-hmm. go and you spend time with them, and you spend time with that store or that family as they go through these really difficult seasons. Yes. You know, your role is about uh, the generosity of presence. Right. Yeah. And I think as I've um, done hospice work and even doing um, church work for for a, a great length of time, I'm realizing the value of presence, um, you know, because I think people are always looking for, you know, what words to say or, you know, how do you engage in these situations? And it seems that as I look back in the way um, I've served, you know, the kingdom and, and the, the church it, it presence really rises to the top. Um, and really, even in hospice, the big thing that I took away in hospice is is the less you said things, um, the better, um, mm-hmm. but just showing up and being known. Um, so silence has actually been something that I've had to learn pretty quickly um, when I was doing hospice work. Yeah, when you know I had a family member die, and I can tell you everyone that was there in, in her final moments, but I I have no clue what they said to me. Yeah. But I completely remember who was there. Right. And just their mere presence was exactly what I needed in that moment. Because, you know, there's nothing that people could say to me. No. Yeah. As a two, do you find that that was challenging not to kind of have this reactive, this thing, oh, well, you have a need, so can I help you? How can I help you? What what was that like for you to kind of take that transition from a sense of I'm here because they needed help to, oh, the thing I can offer is just myself and it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not an action or, or a a, a speech that would that would solve or help really in this moment. I, it was really hard, uh, Sam, and I think it's. I'm still learning how to, um, you know, rest in who God has made me and my presence. But yes, I'm mean, being theologically trained and and reading a whole lot. Um, it's easy to just depend on words mm-hmm. and and to just put all your you know um, your weight on words. But yeah, so I think it was my season at. Um, hospice where I realized like, wow, these people don't need a lot of my clever or uh, scriptural knowledge mm-hmm. um, because majority of these people have a church background and they know that. But at this particular time, they, they need someone to just hold their story. And that's looking them in the eye. That's giving them a hug. That's, you know, a uh, uh, arm around the shoulder. It's, so it's 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 those things. Um, but yeah, hospice really taught me to just step back and say, "Oh wow, um, words um, can fail you in in so many settings." And so presence is going to win out um, mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah, so. that's really good. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, I think it's twos. You kind of have um, the you're kind of wired for that though. You that comes easily to just to be to have that empathy component. So I'm a nine, and we'll learn more about them later on. But mm-hmm. nines just they kind of have a presence that that's very peaceful and very mm-hmm. they can just kind of offer themselves up but but it, yeah, for me it's the the challenge is to to have that empathy component and to really be able to 
to sit and just listen and to feel with somebody. I think that there is a gift that twos and everybody in the heart triad that can offer. It's just the ability to feel for other people when they can't feel some of those things for themselves. So that's a huge, a huge gift and a huge characteristic of God that I think twos naturally just bring into the relationships and the work that they do. So. Yeah, I think I th- I agree. I think that all the twos that I know, you know, they're just they're just loyal and kind friends, you know. Mm-hmm. But James, what do you think that twos show the rest of us about friendship with God? You know, because all of us bear the image of God, and I think that twos sort of bring a unique uh, image of God's friendship with us. You know, mm-hmm. what is it that they're showing us? Yeah, I, I, you know, the word that comes to mind, Jesse, is this word intimacy. And I, I like uh, a definition that I heard just recently where inti- intimacy is shared experience. And I think the more I, I pay attention to how God has wired me and uniquely made me is is my longing and desire and love for shared experiences. And I mean, it, isn't that really what friendship is about, isn't it? It's it's thinking and reflecting on those shared experiences um, with each other because that's what intimacy ultimately is. It's you know intimacy with God because that's really what we have in Christ is that shared experience lived out in ordinary you know day to day life. And so that's what I would say that um, you know we have as an opportunity as twos to to help you know people. Well, you know, what you've just talked about is this idea of doing life with God. And and unfortunately, sometimes twos get confused and think it's life for God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, twos are often, they're drawn to people in need, mm-hmm. uh, but sometimes it's not really from a healthy place. Yeah. Um, so can you describe for us what happens inside of a two as they begin to give from a non-resourceful place? Yes. And I think that's a great distinction, Jesse, about... Um, you know, doing things for God or doing things with God. And I, I think there's a, that's a really great uh, contrast because that's where I think twos get in trouble is this, this view and this approach of doing life where I'm doing things for God. And, and that's what does get us in trouble because we get so externally focused and so driven by, by meeting the needs and, and wants and desires of people that they lose touch of their own needs, right? And we're so, um, again, driven by the outside and what people need. So, so it's it's good for uh, twos to to step step back and say it doesn't. Um, we're not first human doers, you know, as I've you know that that cliche, but we're human beings. We're mm-hmm. we need to come from a place that we're. Um, uh, invited to live this with God life versus even just living for God. And I think it's easy to get the car before the horse. Um, and so coming from a place where this uh, uh, with God life, it's much healthier because one, you know your boundaries, you know who you are, and you're not your, your identity is not dependent upon people and how they respond to you. Um, it's not that you're okay because they're okay. No, you're already okay because you're with God. You're with Christ. But what you're talking about is really kind of scary, confusing stuff because a lot of people are probably listening if they're twos and they're going, I almost don't even know what you're talking about Oh, because their life is about serving other people. You know, the heart triad of of all the triads, it said that uh, we turn everything into doing because we see the relational implications of everything that takes place in life. Mm -hmm. And so we translate almost all moments through its relational implications. Mm -hmm. And for the two... They're going, wait, how how am I supposed to not be doing all these yeah. things? Look at all the relational need in the world. And, you know, you're you're saying, hey, 
don't don't make that about who you are. Right. Well, in 2015, Jesse, um, you know. It, you know, I was asked and encouraged to take a sabbatical, you know, doing any care stuff or counseling stuff for a year. And I tell you the first, I mean, I don't say first three months, it was hard to separate myself from what I provided and help people to just saying, hey, I'm present God and I'm going to serve and and be, you know, the father, husband. But yeah, even just removing that, I mean, for the first couple of weeks was so disorienting. Um, it felt like a midlife unraveling, if you if you will. Yeah, so it makes so much sense. You know, what are some of that? Um, can you kind of unpack maybe some of the um, twos are probably the most prone to burnout and just mm-hmm. the overworking and the overextension. So what was that kind of like for you, kind of pre-sabbatical recommendation yeah. versus what, what kind of took place on that year of realizing, oh, like I've got some stuff to work yeah. on here. Um, I think my wife would appreciate, you know, me bringing some of these things out. And again, uh, Sam, I, I'm still learning, you know, my my pace, my boundaries and what God's called me to. Um, but yeah, pre-sabbatical, I was maybe gone three nights, you know, out of the week doing individual counseling, family counseling, um, on top of that, maybe doing five to six care cases, you know, um, and then still doing a full-time job, um, parenting and being a father to five kids, um, and still getting together with folks at church. But it was more so even not at a place of um, life-giving relationships, but always there was this need component where they needed help and counseling. So it was wrapped up more of being driven because people need help. And so James Santos is going to step up in the plate and do that because right. no one else is going to do it, right? Yeah. And that's the pride of twos. Yeah, that indispensable, um, like, mm-hmm. if I don't, then what? Like, there's just there seems to be such a, so much at stake in the mind of a two mm-hmm. if because they really can step into people with severe needs. So it does become kind of a catch-22 because they're the ones that, that are kind of going into the trenches, but they need people in their corner yeah. as well. And they need to recognize yeah. and admit that you have limitations yeah. and those boundaries are super important to establish. It is, you know, from, I mean, I can remember pre-sabbatical. I mean, I was answering, trying to answer every text, every ding, every email, you know, every phone call, every voicemail that my, my rule actually was if somebody reached me that day, I was going to try to reach out to them that day also, which it becomes overwhelming. And I did, I, I think I was definitely at the place of burnout and needed to adjust and recalibrate. Yeah. Cause we're overly available. Oh Yeah. You know, technology just lets anybody get to us and it becomes tricky to figure out what's most important and what's not. Yeah. You know, so you've talked a little bit about about pride. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, how can you spot your your pride coming into play? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the point at which, you know, a, a two, when they begin to believe that they have to go out to other people to, to win those people over to them, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, because that's what's going on with the two, right? It's like, yeah. I'm doing all these things and it looks like I'm doing it for yeah. you. But it's really to fill mm-hmm. this, this, you know, this shame and this, this fear of emptiness inside of me. Yeah. So, so what? When do you begin to see pride show up? Well, again, I, I think the m- motivation within twos is to be liked, to be loved, to be approved, right? And so, um, I'm gonna try to pursue that or react to that as as possible. And, and even when I th- when I think about pride, I think to even even distill this, it's really self-sufficiency. It's saying, I'm going to pay attention to your needs and 
but in terms of mine, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know make mention of that because it's gonna burden you, right? Right. Yeah. Because and, that uh, would be the last thing that they need in that moment. Like it's all about you right now. Like yeah. if I brought my stuff in, then that would help. That would not make your situation any better. Yes, and and in, in pride and in terms of how I detect it's. It's really tricky, um, and I think it takes just you know the gift of awareness and, and the Lord to just help. But I, I think where, where pride shows up is I think in my mind that I know your need better than you do. Oh. Um, I know your, what you're struggling better than you do. And so I'm going to ask enough questions to draw that out, to lead you so that I can maybe expound on it and maybe marvel you with what I know about that. Um, and some, that's something that I have to um, really be aware of. And that's where I have to be in a posture of lovingly, be lovingly curious than more so being manipulative, you know, and I would say a great definition by again, Beatrice Chestnut on manipulation is is moving things around behind the scenes to get what you want in an in, indirect in way. And so that's that's another kind of um, offshoot of pride um, to be aware of, I, you know, that I need to be aware of because I'm not, you know, Jesus who knows, you know, the hearts of men. Mm-hmm. Um, I need them. I need to give them space to allow to discover that for themselves versus me, you know, thinking that I know better than they do, they do, if that makes sense. So part of what you're getting at is this idea of boundaries, right? Yeah. I mean, you're getting this idea that there's a place where James ends and someone else begins. Yeah. And uh, for twos, that, that sense of where that boundary is gets really kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what advice do you have for the twos that are listening? I mean, how... How have you seen the ramifications of not establishing healthy healthy yeah. boundaries, and how do you begin to establish healthy boundaries? Right. I think twos need to learn how to say no and to, to also understand that when we say no, it's a complete sentence. Because um, I've discovered about myself that even when I say no, I want to footnote it. Yeah. I want to justify it. And I just need to rest in saying when I say no, I'm saying yes to something that I really need, whether that's, you know, silence and solitude with the Lord or running a trail. That's, that's how I, you know, um, have my outlets. I go trail running a lot, you know, because I just come to a point where like, okay, it's good for me to disengage and not call the next person that I need to counsel or follow up, mm-hmm. you know, because they, they're hanging on if I don't call, you know, it, it's that the dynamic. So, um, I've heard someone say that it's important to have clarity about what your yes is mm-hmm. in life because that helps you know immediately what your no's need to be. Yes. And if you don't have clarity about what your yeses are, then you're going to say yes to everything. That's good. Right. And and I think, I think it, t- it takes that intentionality, doesn't it, to be able to go in you know, silence. And that's why I think disengaging silence and solitude is, is a great healthy way of discovering your boundaries because if you don't have that – um, you're right. You're going to just say yes to anything. And, you know, basically culture and your schedule dictates what you're going to do. Well, you know, twos can sometimes really struggle with understanding and seeing their own needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, how can those that love the twos in their life, that mm-hmm. love the helpers, you know, that help them through so many things in life, mm-hmm. um, how can these folks love the twos that are still on a journey when twos are so reluctant to even 
uh, admit their own needs. Right. You know, how can the rest of us go, hey, how can I serve you? When it's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, oh, well, where do we go yeah. from here? You know, and I, I think again, community friends and, and close friends. I have, you know, a community group who I've been able to share life with and they know my tendencies. They know where I don't draw the boundaries and they know when I'm not expressing my need. And so I can, I have a couple in our community group where they'll say to me in, in a loving way, they'll say, hey, James, what do you need? And I know exactly what um, they're getting at. It's not, uh, and they'll, they'll know if I'll say, ah, there's nothing, but they'll have me sit on that and then maybe come back to them two or three days. And I'll usually just say that, say, hey, that's a great question. Can I get back to you? So I think intentional community is important. Um, I mean, that's how I've grown, you know, being a healthy tooth and a uh, non-healthy tooth. I've also heard a, pr- a good piece of advice is don't feel the compulsion to answer immediately. Mm, it's perfectly yeah. fine to say, let me think on it or I'll get back to you. Right. Because sometimes the two instinct of saying yes to things mm-hmm. is so strong that sometimes twos need to go through an extended period where they just, they don't say yes to anything immediately. They just say, let me think on it. Let me get back to you because they need to pull back and think before they act. Yeah. And I think intentional time of really asking yourself, what do I need? And and that's a hard question or even how I feel. How am I feeling right now? I mean, as honestly as I can, Um, because those are two questions. How I feel, what do I need? Are two hard questions for twos to answer because they're so connected and tethered to other people's needs that they get lost. They don't, they don't know. And that's why I think you're right, Jess. They, they need that time of separation whenever someone asks or requests of them. Yeah, I have one uh, one question kind of our, our hope for starting this mini series was for our audience who um, is maybe on this journey of waking up about their own self-awareness. And mm-hmm. uh, what what advice or what what have you learned or how have you grown in um, in this self-awareness? How is the self-awareness that you've had in waking up to uh, your tendencies, how has that improved the quality of your mm. your life and your your friendships and even your relationship with the Lord? Yeah, that's a great question, Sam. I, you know, so I just got off from a 12-year anniversary with my, we went to Estes Park, Colorado. And, you know, silence and solitude, but then applied in journaling um, has been probably a personal rhythm liturgy that I do to... Um, that you know has helped me um, have more self-reflection, but also self-awareness, um, and how that has benefited me. I, I think it's given me more of a greater capacity to um, to be that helper and giver, um, and that there is just a non-negotiable for two that they need silence and solitude, even mainly even more solitude away from people, mm-hmm. because we're so externally focused once again. Um, but even my trip in Colorado, just walking the trails and sitting at a bench every day for four days and just noticing the sunrise, which is great for me yeah. because it taught me that I cannot cause the sun to rise faster than, you know, I want, but I had to, to wait, you know. And so for, you know, that time there, I just, I don't know, I just, just soaked it in. And then when it's time to go move on to go, but I would say that. Silence and solitude has been my number one go-to, and that's why I run trails. I can get away, look at trees, run the trails. Um, but to find an outlet where you're not engaged or tethered or having to react to people's needs is 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 invaluable. And I think the part of what you're getting at again is this idea of when you know I've heard that it said that anybody in the heart triad 
if we go somewhere and there's even one other person around, mm. we feel some kind of relational connection to them. Mm-hmm. And in some way, we begin to make decisions even based on their presence, even if they're a stranger to us. Yeah, And that something else happens when we're in total solitude because it's just us and the Lord, and we begin to receive his delight. We begin to receive his love, his presence, his excitement, his affirmation, uh, his fatherly guidance. But we struggle to receive those things when we're in the presence of any other human being because we're so relationally oriented that we are like magnets. We just move towards them. Oh, I mean, that's, I think the hard thing is even in church setting or any setting, you're you're so intuitive and so sensitive to the needs around you, whether it's a facial expression or a body. I mean, I can tell in a room if there is something out of sorts or dysfunctional and twos typically will draw near to that and ask and see if there is a need. And, uh, and sometimes again, the pride is sometimes it's, it's, you know, it, it feels it may be directed to them. And so they're going to try to f- figure out how to solve that. So, it is. It's it's something to you know take notice. Well, when we come back, we'll be playing your worst nightmare. Stay with us. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> On today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring type two, the helper. And there have been some studies that have come out that have shown that of all of the Enneagram personalities, type two, the helper, they are the most likely to experience burnout. And so, if you want to explore the topic of burnout, head over to our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast, and make sure to check out episode number 13, where the gospel meets burnout. There were so many responsibilities, whether it's another sermon to preach, whether that's another uh, lecture to give. My tendency during that time period was to think immediately, well, I'm not being a good wife. He thinks I'm being a bad mom. Like I don't have time to rest. Can't. I've often said, what would it have been like to be the next leper in line? And Jesus says, that's all. And I'm still a leper. And, and that's when it just struck me. I'm like, something is wrong with me. So subscribe to the Love That Neighborhood podcast right now. You can either do that in whatever app you're listening to this show on, or you can head over to our website at lovethatneighborhood.org slash podcast. All right, welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. All right, and now it's time for Your Worst Nightmare. Little music. Oh, yeah, <gasps> man. That, that just sounds scary. Worst Nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're here to terrify you. Okay. okay, so this is how the game works. Your worst nightmare, uh, Sam is going to read four different cards to you. Okay. And then you are going to rank those in the order in which you are afraid of them, with okay. the first being the most afraid, okay. all the way down to the fourth, which is you are least afraid of that okay. item. One fourth. So as she reads these four to you, you write down your answers, and then I am going to write down the order in which I think okay. that you rank them. Okay. Uh, and we're going to see how many points sure. that I can get and how close I can get to being correct. Yeah, All sorry, right. James. We totally tailored these for twos. So here yeah. we go. Uh, round one. Item number one, disappointing others. 
Item number two, getting old. Okay. Three, being alone. Four, missing the game-winning shot in the championship finals. Okay. Can, can you read them again? Yeah. Number one, disappointing others. Two, getting old. Three, being alone. Four, missing that game-winning shot in the championship final. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> okay, great. Okay. I, I, okay, think, I, I think I've got you. All right. Well, uh, yeah, James, read us your answers first, right? Yeah, answers first? I, I think I got you, Nick. Okay. So being alone actually is can be super scary for me. Okay. Okay, that's number one. I, did, I didn't even get close on that one. Oh, <laughs> that was like way down uh, on man. my list. Yeah. Um, oh, no, no. I had it as number two. So, okay. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, there's No, this, you can't accommodate I'm to me. Can't you can't accommodate okay. to me. <laughs> well, I saw the second one and I was like, ah. So disappointing people would is be number my, two? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I had those reversed. Had okay, those you know, reversed. and again, I was tied the more I thought about it. Okay, you know, you go. could just adjust I'm your cards get some points. I am declaring. Growing old would mean number three. I got that one. Nice. I got that one. Nice. And then, um, what's the last, oh, hitting the last shot? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. That's... I mean, the stakes are high. It's all on you. Uh, the, you know, the, now. The game's on your I'm, shoulders. I'm five foot three. I'm not going to, yeah. Oh, man. Hit the game-winning <laughs> shot. I'll probably get blocked. Maybe in like a Boy Scouts league or something. Yeah, oh, yeah, man. that's right. Hey, or I can say that because yes. I am also extremely short. Be... One of the reasons that James and I love we hanging do. out is that like I short don't... guys rule the world. And let me also say this. It is awesome being married to a taller oh, woman. Oh, it's Amen. like being married to a supermodel. Uh, see, that's, that has worked on our pride and furthered wow. our humility. <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay. so, I just, so tall ladies <laughs> of the world, uh, short guys love y'all. Absolutely. Okay. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, round two. Here we go. The principal's office. Ooh. Hate crimes, illness, and oversleeping. Ooh. Those are that. So hate that crimes. Yeah. Second principal's is... office. Okay. Hate crimes, illness, and oversleeping. Oh, this is hard. Oh man, this is a really really hard one. Uh... Are you struggling? I'm struggling. I, I'm I'm just shooting. I'm declaring here. Okay. So. Okay. Uh, yeah. This is this, this is a tough, a tough round. one. Okay. They all I'm sound, gonna... you know. Okay. So let me go. You ready? Yeah. Jesse, are you ready for his okay. answer? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. You sure? Yeah. Yeah. All okay. right. I'm ready. I'm ready. So, principal's office. Number one. Number one. Was number one? Yes. The principal. Oh, Why? You are a stranger to me. I think I've had some trauma. Oh. I, I did see the principal when I was in seventh grade and set a trajectory of that's not going to happen again. So oh. it just happened like, the one time. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. I had like a parking space in the principal's office. Did like, you? I had my own, like again. student of the month spot, oh, but man. not in the positive sort of way. Yeah. Wow. Okay. See, okay. Yeah. Now, just I like put it as number four. I thought for certain, I thought for certain like, oh, he's going to think, oh, the principal's calling because she wants to thank no, me. You know, I'm, for, I'm like... Yeah, that's wow. nightmare. Yeah. Okay. So um oversleeping. Number two. Yeah. I think because I've had so many dreams where I've like missed an appointment or been late, like yeah, that yeah. just really terrible. The inconveniencing of others yes, and absolutely. yeah, the responsibility that other you know, I'm sure as a father, you know, like if you oversleep oh, then man. that's everybody's late to everything, you're late to work, you know. I'm sure. I even coming down here, I was telling Sam like I was late, I'm like, I'm in I'm inconveniencing and burdening Jesse. You yeah, we almost canceled your segment. Ah, man, I was, yeah. Okay, so I'm zero for two on this one. Wow. So illness Okay. will be number three. I literally ranked you in the opposite order <laughs> oh, of you? the <laughs> truth. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, hey. So hate crimes is number four. Number four. I'm most afraid of. Yeah. Yeah. That surprises yeah. me. And, and the only reason I say You it, know what? I'm sorry. I might have gotten that backwards. 
I'm fl- I'm flipping it. No, don't flip it. Can oh. I? <laughs> but if he flips it, I got it. Oh, no, I think you got it right. So James, I, I must why are you flipping so, it? Well, no, I'm 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 being truthful here. I'm before the Lord. Um, <laughs> no, I think I miss. So so basically, so number one is your most feared. Feared. Yes. Yeah. So number one is yeah, it's and still then principle? hate crimes will be yeah. Fourth, it's okay sure. that hate crimes are. Is hate crimes the thing you're least fearful of? Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, then never mind. You got zero points, I, Jesse. I, I oh, did I? Okay. So I'm zero, yeah. zero for four okay. on this one. Zero yeah. for four on this one. Uh, All right, well, let's see if I can redeem myself. Okay, yeah, so round three. <laughs> Anybody keeping score in here? I don't know. I've got, no, I've got two two whopping points all so right. far. Yeah, all right, for, the, for all the marbles, round four. Item one, rejection. Item two, being fired. Item three, disorder and chaos. Item four, telling a joke and no one laughed. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> wow. Uh, that would that, that makes me afraid. Like especially like it's <laughs> yeah. the worst. Like you know, you and I both speak from the stage. Sometimes you know, you ever try to say it's something the and you're ultimate, like, like and you're like, they'll think this is funny, <laughs> and then like no one in the room oh, laughs. And you're like, oh, I should just put the microphone. Yeah, down right I should now. go home. So rejection, being fired, and what's the third one, Sam? Uh, disorder and chaos. Okay, disorder and chaos. Oh, okay, you ready? Are you ready? I think so. Uh, okay, I'm ready. You know, it's interesting. The way you like set them would be my order from like most oh, yeah? afraid to least. <gasps> is that I? I just Did you got get it? the ultimate setup. <laughs> this wow. is a comeback yeah. story. Okay, so James, for clarification, what are your yeah, top so four? Rejection number one. Being fired would be second. Yeah, yeah. And then disorder and chaos would be three. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, telling a joke, which I, I don't tell a lot you of never, jokes. never joke. No. Um, Stone very cold, serious, James. Man. Stone, I, Stone you cold, know, And this is good for me because him. my wife always say that people think that you're just serious, James. There, there's no goofy side, which I, I can be goofy when I, when I my, my kids think I'm goofy. Yeah. Well, just, this is awesome. This was a comeback story. <laughs> yeah, okay, so what a so here's the deal. So if if you get, I've meant to say this earlier. You get all four. You get an extra, point. and you get an extra point. So, oh, so <laughs> I got That's... five on that round. So oh. uh, so I landed for a possible total score of fifteen. I ended up with seven. Seven. So mm-hmm. uh, so I've got some work to do on my <laughs> on my enneagram knowledge here. Yeah. Well, that was a tough one. That was no, a, that I'm was proud. a tough one. But that it's all in one. fun though, right? It's all in fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. That was great. It's tough because if you put these different cards in different stacks then the ranking would be totally different so it's all about their connection yeah. and relationship to each other that was great yeah all right well it's time now for the final five questions all right so james so uh, every guest that we have on the show we ask five final questions yeah uh and so uh so here we go sam Mm-hmm. Question one: What actor would play you in a movie? What actor? Lord of the Ring, Rings, Sam Gamgee would be Samwise. Samwise. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. From Goonies and Stranger yeah. Things, and oh, that's yeah. the first thing that came up. Up. Yeah. I mean, he was just that guy to just. Yeah. He's the go-to guy. Go-to guy. Yeah. 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 Bob, so, right? Is it? Yeah. What's his he, name? Bob on Stranger yeah. Things. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Okay. I endorse that. I like you it. You know? Okay. Okay. Uh, number two, if we had a phone that could call your 21-year-old self, what would you say to them? James, um, not everyone needs your help. Um, you can relax in knowing that um, you're you, you're valuable, you're loved, and you are, yeah, you're gifted and strong. 
That's great. Yeah. Question three. How can friends and loved ones affirm someone with your personality type? It's as simple as a question of, James, what do you need? Um, how can you be loved today? And um, how can I give you space? That's good. Maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, because it's space away from people needing you. Yeah. And and to have time alone. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay, number, number four. Um, how does the good news of God's delight mm. help to heal your type's deadly sin of pride? Yeah. How does God's delight help heal yeah. pride? I think, um, and this is something I've been thinking about and actually been praying, is that um, I can feel safe even when I've disappointed or frustrated people and that I don't have to react by chasing their love and their approval or, you know, but that I can know that that love in Christ is right here. It's 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 available right now for James Santos, and so knowing that love and knowing that the light is available at this present moment is is my freedom, is my peace. That's good. And last question: What scripture verse do you hold dear as it relates to your personality type? You know, I, ever since discovering the enneagram, um, and also just the uh, healthy and uh, unhealthy side of the two. I think Ephesians 3 verses 18 and 19 has been an anchoring um, passage. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So that the, to know the love of Christ. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, James, thanks so much for being with us today. It's really been great. We've really appreciated you guys. Thank you. You, uh, this you is guys. Great. There's not multiple. I know. We really, Sam's sorry. Here. We, we, we yeah. really appreciate having you here. We guys appreciate yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So thanks to James Santos. Uh, to learn more about James' life coaching, uh, head over to Facebook and search for Cornerstone Care. And you'll find uh, James' Facebook page where he and his wife do life coaching uh, and sometimes even teach Enneagram workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we want to thank Crosspoint Ministry because Crosspoint Ministry actually trained all three of us in That's this right. room on the Enneagram. We love these guys. Uh, so to learn more about Crosspoint or to attend one of their many amazing retreats, actually, which uh, which James helps lead yeah. some of those, yeah. uh, visit CrosspointMinistry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at LoveThyNeighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself and Sam Stevenson, engineering and editing by Janelle Dawkins with Justice Smith. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Community.